A couple days ago, I went to lunch at Dottie Audrey's, which is part of my weekly cycle of three or four places I go. And it was a little bit later in the afternoon, and so it was slow, blessedly slow. And uh, as I was eating my po' boy, because it was Mardi Gras day, I had to have a shrimp po' boy, uh, Jen came over and we started chatting, and of course, Ash Wednesday came up. And she said, you know, about a year ago, a whole group of people came in here from Tennessee, and they all had ashes on their heads. And I thought, well... That's an awfully long way to come on Ash Wednesday, but I guess they were in town for something. And so she, she asked them about it, and they said, oh, we're Episcopalians, and you know, we got our ashes. And uh, she said, well, I'm Episcopalian too, but my grandmother always taught me that we had to rub the ashes off before we even left the church. Otherwise, we would be practicing our piety before others. And so they had a discussion about it, and no conclusion was reached. And I confess that I was not able to give her much more guidance uh, because uh, it's really a matter of, of personal, uh, personal piety. Um, I've seen it done both ways, but in recent years, it seems that, and, and this is especially true as I have been, uh, had experience in New York, that uh, people do like to wear the ashes on Ash Wednesday. And when I was in seminary, uh, all of the churches in Manhattan, most of them anyway, had uh, I want to say round the clock, but all day long, ashing in between their services, which, of course, they also had. And as a seminarian, I was assigned, I believe, to one of the chapels at St. Mary the Virgin on Times Square, where a consistent stream of people came through. Of course, it's Times Square, so there's lots of foot traffic there. But uh, to receive the ashes. And I said, dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And they would sort of make the sign of the cross and turn around and leave. And presumably have that... Uh, ash sign on their head the rest of the day. And so we get a little bit confused about the, the meaning of what Christ is saying because on this day where we always have this gospel reading, um, we do make a particularly unusual sign. It's, a, it's a, real, a real one-off in Christianity. And we do this publicly. But I really think it's not much different than uh, wearing a cross necklace or a ring or having one of those little fish on the back of your car. Um, Indeed, uh, some of my compatriots uh, in Jerusalem got tattoos. Um, Now, of course, the tattoos aren't uh, overtly visible. They're sort of on arms and things. But nonetheless, it's the oldest tattoo parlor in the world, by the way, and you can get all sorts of pilgrim tattoos, which I learned was a thing. You, You go that far and you get a tattoo. I did not. Um, but there are many ways of showing visibly with signs that you are a Christian, and this is just one of them. And this has uh, many different roots. The, the, sim- the symbolism here and the ritual are so rich and complex and intertwined that it really is difficult to separate out just the ashes, just the sign from what it is that we do on this night. Now, the ashes as a sign themselves go back to the story of creation. When God said to Adam and Eve, You are dust, and to dust you will return. The dust is a symbol of the wandering of Israel in the desert for 40 years. We see dust again when uh, they, in their 
errant ways, create that golden calf to worship. And Moses orders it ground down to dust and put into water, and they all have to drink it as a sort of, what I read today, an anti-sacrament. And so this dust uh, brings us back to the story of creation. It reminds us of our mortality and also of eternal life because of the shape it's in. Now, in the prayer book, in, nowhere in the prayer book does it give us directions uh, to make a sign of the cross for the imposition of the ashes. It doesn't mention foreheads at all. Uh, but, of course, that is where the tradition has been, that we put the ashes and this, the shape in which we make them. But that cross symbol, of course, reminds us of death, but also of eternal life. And this sacramental action of ashing ourselves is also deeply intertwined with the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist. So to separate the two from one another, it leaves the sacramental a little cold and meaningless, I think. Because when we we come here, we acknowledge that since the error of our first parents, we have been sinners. We have been sinners from our mother's womb, as scripture says. We are in need of grace. This world is in need of grace and reconciliation. It's broken. It's sinful. It's hurting. And so we come here tonight in part to admit our complicity in at least part of that, in the litany of penitence. But also we hear... uh, these wonderful readings about doing things from the right perspective. You know, that, that reading from, um, from Isaiah talking about how people fast and they want attention for themselves, how they do uh, good works, but they want attention for themselves. And, of course, this is what Jesus is referencing when he's giving uh, these admonitions in the uh, reading from Matthew. It's not what it's all about. I remember when I was in uh, middle school, they, some brilliant teachers decided to start this program called Get Caught Doing Something Good. And this little goody two-shoes was just delighted because it was some way to get some positive attention in middle school, which was somewhat lacking, we'll say. Um, so, you know, I would do things try to find things to do in you know, plain sight of a lot of people, teachers, um, playground monitors, other students, just thinking that somebody would pick up on the fact that I'm doing this great thing and that at the end of the day when the announcements came, it would see somebody would, this voice would come across as if you know, from heaven saying, well, Rick Robine was seen on the playground today picking up some trash and isn't that great? And I could have that pat on the back that I wanted so badly. But it never happened. And I was sorely disappointed. But I can see now, with some distance and some perspective, that I wanted to do those good things for all the wrong reasons. I wanted to do them for attention and for uh, gratification and for, you know, approval from other people. And that's something that's part of the human condition. We want all those things. But we don't need them. Because we have been approved, we have been redeemed, we have been saved by the love of God and the new covenant through his son, Jesus Christ. And so that is what 
the receiving of the communion. That's the good news tonight. We're going to think about our mortality, pray about our sins, but the good news is that we get to go to the altar of God. We get to receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ, and we get to partake of that promise of everlasting life. Now, the last line of, of our gospel reading tonight, for another example, is, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And strangely, the first place I ever remember encountering that line is not the scriptures, but uh, Moby Dick. And it's a, about uh, Captain Ahab, you know, and his, his passion, his overwhelming uh, compulsion to, to catch this thing, which is a metaphor for all sorts of stuff, and I don't want to get into literary criticism right now. But, but think about that. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so let us, during this Lenten season, as we journey towards the cross of Christ, towards Calvary, and yes, towards resurrection, let us try to push the spiritual reset button, if you will. Let's just clean the cobwebs, uh, take stock of our hearts and souls and minds, and look at our lives. Uh, at a time of self-examination, and hopefully with prayer and reading of God's word and in service to others, we can make ourselves a mansion fit for our King. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please stand. <clears throat> Dear people of God, the first Christians observed with great devotion... <clears throat> the days of our Lord's passion and resurrection, and it became the custom of the church to prepare for them by a season of penitence and fasting. This season of Lent provided a time in which converts to the faith were prepared for holy baptism. It was also a time when those who, because of notorious sins, had been separated from the body of the faithful, were reconciled by penitence and forgiveness and restored to the fellowship of the church. Thereby, the whole congregation was put in mind of the message of pardon and absolution set forth in the gospel of our Savior and of the need which all Christians continually have to renew their repentance and faith. I invite you, therefore, in the name of the Church, to the observance of a holy Lent by self-examination and repentance, by prayer, fasting, and self-denial, and by reading and meditating on God's holy word, and to make a right beginning of repentance and as a mark of our mortal nature, let us now kneel before the Lord, our Maker and Redeemer. <clears throat>